All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we are talking about, there's, I broke 1 Corinthians 3 into four parts. Paul makes this declaration to the church in Corinth, and he, he says, you are still carnal. He says, you are God's field. We talked about those two things last week a call to spiritual maturity, and a call to fully manifest the life of Christ in us. And Paul makes two other declarations to the church there. He says, you are God's building, in verse 9. You are God's building. And then he wraps up this section. Uh, we have it divided into chapters. Understand Paul didn't write his letter with chapter and verse delineated there. This really is just helps us. But Paul concludes a thought here in verse 23. And the truth that he's declaring is that you belong to God. He says, all things are yours. And he, he goes through this progression that ultimately reveals to us that we all belong to God and all things are God's. All things are under God's authority and under God's control. Well, let's begin today in verse 9, and let's talk about this declaration that Paul makes when he says, you are God's building. So I'm going to read verses 9 through 17, and just follow along with me. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, before I begin uh, and we go through these verses, I just want to make a comment about verse 17. Just a brief comment, and then we're going to go on. I'm not going to belabor this. But I want you to understand that when Paul penned the words that we call verse 16 and 17, when Paul wrote those words, what Paul had in mind were false teachers. Okay? What Paul had in mind when he penned those words in verse 16 and 17 were false teachers. I've heard people take this verse and use it to create all kinds of, I'll just say, wacky, I think, wacky doctrines. You know, um, don't put that tattoo on your body because you're defiling the temple of God and God will destroy you. Now, there might be lots of reasons why you should or shouldn't get a tattoo, but that's not one of them, okay? Let me just say that. What Paul is talking about here, and this is why it's important for us to take the Scripture and let the Scripture interpret the Scripture read the Scripture, study the Scripture in context, and understand what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about the corporate body is the temple of God. You personally are the temple of God, but he's talking about the church here. And if we read, we've now read up to verse 3, and we've studied up to verse 3, and we've done it in chunks over weeks, but remember, this was a letter, and they read this in one sitting, and so they understood the context here that Paul is talking about 
those that come into the church bringing in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man, trying to persuade you to believe something, trying to convince you that what you believe is not real. Paul is talking about those people are defiling the temple of God. They're tearing down the temple of God. And God, and Paul just issues a warning. He says, those people, God's going to deal with them. God will deal with those who, who are falsely defiling and tearing down the temple of God. Amen? Okay. So we'll get back to that a little bit more later, but I, I, just, I, I put this note in my Bible. Paul did not write verse 16 and 17 uh, with suicide in mind or with, with some of these other things that we often take that scripture. He wrote this with false teachers in mind, okay? That's what he's talking about in verse 16 and 17. So we really, it's a warning to those who teach. <laughs> it's a warning to me. As I stand up here and teach you, I better be building up the temple, not tearing down the temple. Amen? Okay. So let's go back to verse 9, and let's look specifically at this declaration Paul makes. You are the building of God. Father in heaven, we just ask you right now that you would, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, cause the eyes of our understanding to be open. Cause, Lord, our minds and our hearts. Lord, if there's any hardness there, if there's any hindrance there, if there's any assumption there that would hinder us from hearing and receiving your truth. Father, we just pray those things would be broken down, those things would be taken away, and you would, by your Spirit, illuminate your Word, your living Word to us, God, that we would more clearly, more deeply see Christ and comprehend Christ in us, the hope of glory. And know, God, that by the work of your Spirit, you are conforming us to the very image of your Son. And you do this, Lord, for your glory. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You are God's building. So here's, here's the verse. You are God's building. And then in verse 11, Paul says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So here's the truth. We are the church, the people of God. We are God's building. And Christ is the foundation. If you're going to build a house today, you're going to put a what on the ground first? You're going to put a foundation on the ground first. Because if you don't do that, your house isn't going to be around very long. It just won't be. And so we put a foundation down and we build upon a foundation. Paul says you are God's building and Christ is the foundation upon which you are built. And there is no other foundation that anyone can lay. In other words, what God is building, he is not going to build on any other foundation. The only foundation God the Father will build on is the foundation of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit about work. This is a call to build masterfully. Look at verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. So today, when people build, we have master plumbers, we have master electricians, we have people at different trades, they attain to the level of being a master at what they do. Paul says, by the grace of God that's been given to me, I have become a wise master builder. Paul is making it very clear. When we get to this point, Paul's not pointing to himself. He's not saying, look at me, I'm a master builder. Look how good I am. Paul says, look, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. I didn't have anything to offer you. I didn't come persuading you with anything. I didn't have any excellence of speech. I came as a witness declaring to you something, and the fact that you believed wasn't testimony of my power. It was the testimony of his power and his spirit. That's the demonstration of his spirit and his power is the fact that you believe. Not anything I did. It's what God did. And the grace that God's given me and the wisdom that God's given me, he said, I am 
a wise master builder by the grace of God and by the wisdom of God. And he says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed on how he builds. What is the foundation that Paul laid? Christ. Paul says the foundation of everything, the foundation of your faith, the foundation of everything you believe, the foundation of your life, the foundation of everything that's happening, everything that you do, Christ is that foundation. Understand this. And so let's talk about this work of building because this is a call to build masterfully. God's not interested in us throwing up a lean-to and see how long it lasts. God says, if you're going to build something, be a master builder. Build it masterfully. And, and, and we're going to see later on as we go through these texts, Paul says, your work's going to be tested. How you build is going to be tested. The day will declare it. So I want to talk just a, just a little bit about work. And I want to talk specifically about the pattern of the work, the performance of the work, and the promise of the work, okay? If you got a pen and paper, write that down. The pattern of the work, the performance of the work, and the promise of the work. So let's talk about the pattern of the work. What was the pattern, what was the pattern that Paul brought when he came? Now, how many of you have ever built uh, a home or you've been associated with uh, building buildings or something? Uh, I used to work at a job and I would go to a place called the Association of General Contractors, and they would have plans on file. They'd have, you know, everything from office buildings to schools to condominiums, you know, commercial buildings. And, and what you would do when you went to the AGC is you, back then, because, you know, it was the Stone Age, you know, you actually still had blueprints that you went now. I'm sure it's all digital and on computer, and, you know, you don't you have to do like we used to have to do. But there was, for every building, there was a blueprint. And what did the blueprint provide? The blueprint provided the pattern by which this building would be built. Well, listen, where do you think man got that wisdom from? Man got that wisdom from God. Because when God decides to build something, God knows what the pattern is. So we can go all the way back to Exodus 25. When Moses goes up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai... And God says, build everything I show you according to the pattern that I show you. So God showed Moses how to build the tabernacle. God showed Moses not just how to build the tabernacle, but how to build everything in that tabernacle. How to build the Ark of the Covenant, how to build the mercy seat, how to build the table of, the, of, of, of incense, how to build the golden lampstand, how to build the altar that the sacrifices would be made on, how to build the screens, the poles, the sockets that would hold them, the rings that would hold the curtains. I mean, he said, build it according to the pattern that I show you. And all of those things represent something. All of those things are shadows of something. They speak of something, or I really should say they speak of someone, because what is, what is the Bible about? It is about Jesus. Why did God show Moses this pattern on the mountain? Because God was showing Moses the pattern that would ultimately reveal to us Christ. Christ is the tabernacle. We go right to the beginning of our Bible in the book of Exodus, right after Genesis, but we can go to the very end of the recorded scripture here, the canon of scripture, to the book of Revelation in the new heaven and new earth. John says, and I saw no temple. We went from a tabernacle to a temple. John says, I saw no temple for the lamb is its temple. Oh, wow. Now, see, when, when the Bible says stuff like that, we need to take notice. Why does, why does John call Jesus the temple? Well, there's a reason. At the very end of the Bible, why, at the end of all things in the new heaven and the new earth, why does John call Jesus the temple? You know Why? Because he is, right? So what, is that, what should that tell us about the temple and the tabernacle and everything else? God did all these natural things that people like to worship today that are just idols. 
I mean, we still have people, we've got people waiting for God to, to build temples again so that Jesus can oversee animal sacrifices. Come on, people. You can't get that from Scripture. Why did God reveal a temple to us? Because Christ is the temple. Well, now listen, if Christ is the temple, that says something about us. And this is what Paul is declaring to the Corinthians. He's saying, you guys need to understand something here. You need to know who you are. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you have become, what you have become when Christ took possession of you and saved you? This is what Paul is declaring to the Corinthians. See, the Corinthian church was very gifted. I mean, they had gifts overflowing to the point that they were dividing over their gifts because they were convinced that the gift, you know, Bill has is better than the gift Sue has. And it became this battle of the gifts. Paul, in the very beginning, he says, what does he say? He, look, this is why he says, you are carnal. You are still carnal where there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And can you believe this? They were dividing over the gifts of God. They were dividing over the very thing God gave to the church to build up the church, to unify the church. They're dividing over this. And so Paul writes this letter, and he's bringing correction. And at the very bottom of it all, Paul says, the problem with you guys is you don't really know who you are in Christ. You don't really understand salvation. You don't understand the greater purpose and the greater plan God has that is so much greater than you. You are focused on yourself. You come together and you focus on yourself and you focus on these things that God has given you to bring unity and to build up the body and you're using those very things to divide. And so Paul really is saying you've got a comprehension problem. You don't comprehend the reality of not only what Christ has done in you, but why he's done it. So the pattern of the, what is the pattern of the work? Listen, Christ is building his church. He's building a holy temple of God. And this church, this temple is the people of God. It is the body of Christ. And so the building is according to the pattern of Christ and him crucified. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul makes this statement. He says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's the pattern right there. This is the pattern for the church. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross is central to every thing. Now remember, what did I say about the cross? The cross is not just the death of Jesus. The cross speaks of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus to glory, taking his proper place in all of history, in all of creation, in all of the eternal plan and purpose of God. The cross is central to that. So we need to understand the cross. And Paul comes and he says, here's the pattern, guys. The cross is the pattern. Christ is the pattern. Christ is the blueprint by which God is building everything. He's the reason he does everything he does. Have any of you ever had to work with comprehensive sets of blueprints? You go through those pages, and you might be on page five looking at mechanical things. And, and, and what you need to understand is the architect put certain things in certain places because of what you're going to find later on on page 15 or someplace. Because it's all connected. Because it's all got to work together. Kind of like our bodies, right? I mean, I think the, the most wonderful thing that's ever been built is the human body. I mean, talk about a miracle. I mean, the, the fact that we can multitask and do all kinds of things. Do you know how? Look at me. 
You know how many things have to be happening all at the same time just for me to stand here and look stupid and do this? But it's the truth. I mean, everything has got to be in its proper place, performing its proper function, doing what it's supposed to be doing just so I can do this, you know? So I can talk and walk at the same time. So I can use my hands to, you know, be more expressive. Or I can inflect tone or volume in my voice. And Do you realize how many things have to work together just for that to happen? So everything is connected and interrelated. That's the human body. It's the same way with everything. Study the universe and realize how amazing and interconnected everything is. How the planets are able to to go in their orbit and their rotation and how, how the sun and how the galaxies are able to move. We think, we think that just happened by accident? No, I don't think so. If that happened by accident, then every car parked in the parking lot is just an accident. Because I promise you the very universe that we're a part of is much more complex and much more uh, intricate than any automobile sitting out there in the parking lot. Yet we wouldn't dream of thinking that those were accidentally formed, but yet we want to believe our universe was. Or we want to believe our bodies were just evolved into what they were. No, I don't think so. Why are things the way they are? Because God had a pattern for everything. And what I'm saying is that the foundation of everything, the universe down to the microorganisms inside your body and inside the dust mites all over this building, the foundation of everything is Jesus Christ. Colossians says, in him all Things consist, and that Greek word for consist literally means in him all things are held together. But for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, nothing that is held together would be held together. So there's a pattern to Christ and him crucified. This is the pattern of everything. This is the pattern of the church. Christ is the foundation. He's not only the foundation, but in Ephesians 2, he's called the chief cornerstone. That building, that big silver building out on my property, when those guys poured that slab unbeknownst to me, because it looked, looked great to me. But when we started putting boards up, we framed it out on the inside. We got down to one end of it, and we said, something's not right. Well, before we got to the end of it, we got about halfway down. we like, something's not right here. And I called the guy, because I figured out what was not right. It was... 30 feet on one end, what, what's that? 40 feet on one end, but it was 41 feet on the other end, the slab was. So I called, I called, uh, I called the guy, and I, I said, hey, I just wanted to call and thank you. He goes, for what? I said, for giving me an extra foot of concrete on that other end of the building. He said, oh, you figured that out, huh? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I figured it out. It wasn't square. And the fact that it wasn't square... Means, meant that we had to make adjustments in everything we did to, you know, make it square somewhere. Jesus is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. He's not cattywampus. He's not out of place. God doesn't pour an out of square foundation. What God does, God does excellent. God does it in a way, and he knows exactly what's going to be built, and he has built all creation on this. And I'm telling you what, the pattern is right. We never have to question the pattern. We never have to wonder whether the architect made an error in the blueprints. What the architect of creation has put in his blueprint, what he has revealed to us in his son, we never wonder whether that's wrong Because if something's wrong, I promise you it's not in the pattern. 
It's going to be in how we're interpreting the pattern. It's going to be in how we want to build different from the pattern, not according to the pattern. So Christ is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. God's building and adorning a holy temple. Look at verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, he will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So God is building, God is adorning a temple. Amen? Ephesians 2.20, hold your place there. Let's turn over a few pages. Let me read this to you. Ephesians 2.20 and 21. Paul writes to the Ephesians, "Having having been built on the foundation of the apostles, And prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built up together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God is building and adorning a holy temple, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus makes this promise upon this rock, upon this foundation, we might say. What is the foundation? The foundation is not Peter. Cephas means Peter, but it's, if we could all speak Greek and read Greek, we'd understand this. It means little stone. And I'm going to tell you exactly how we're to understand that in a little bit. Upon this big stone, upon this massive stone, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said, I am the foundation upon which my church shall be built. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the foundation upon which the church shall be built. Peter was a stone cut out of that stone that God used, just like you are a stone cut out of that stone that God will use. So we're living stones, we're living stones that he is cutting out to build his holy temple. He's cutting out, where where do these living stones come from? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Are you guys hanging with me? They see you've got to be ready, you've got to have your Bibles and be ready. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 5. Let's read in verse 4. And we're talking about the pattern of the work. So before you build a house, you... You know how you're going to build it, right? You should. God eternally, before creation, knew how he was going to build his church. He knew the pattern. He knew what kind of material he was going to use. Just like you do when you get ready to build a house, you know what kind of material you're going to use. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, Coming to him as to a living stone. So who, what Peter says, Jesus is a what? He's not a dead stone. He's a living stone, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. You also, Christian, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he talks again about this cornerstone. I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. That's Christ. So let's talk about these living stones. You also, Peter says, are living stones that God is building up into a holy house. Here in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, you are the temple of God. Well, what kind of stone does God use to build his temple? He uses living stones stone to build his temple. So hold your place there in 1 Corinthians, and let's go over to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. Now, what's happened here is King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has had a dream, a vision, and he sees this horrible beast, 
got a head of gold. It's got a chest of silver. It's got a stomach and thighs of bronze. And it's got legs and feet of iron and clay mixed together. And he's had this nightmare, and he is freaking out. And he can't find anybody that can tell him what this vision means and what this nightmare he had means. And then Daniel is brought. And Daniel says, he describes the image to the king. He says, this is what you saw, king. And then in verse 34, he says something really interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar sees this in his vision. He says, you, were, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands. Now, you understand what that means. There wasn't a rock mason there cutting this rock out of the mountain. There was a stone that was cut out without hands. Who struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind, uh, we can, we've got all kinds of symbolism here. The wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them found. And the stone that struck the image, the stone that was not cut out, that was cut out without hands. In other words, this was not a man-made stone. This wasn't a stone or someone or something that man did. This was something beyond man. This stone that you saw cut out without hands that struck the image, verse 35 at the end, became a great mountain and did what? And filled the whole earth. You saw a stone cut out without hands. It crushed the image, Grounded all the powder, the wind blew it away so that there was no trace of it left. And then the stone that crushed this image that was cut out without hands grew into this great mountain and filled the entire earth. Wow, that's quite a vision. Go to verse 44. Then Daniel tells him, look, these are kingdoms. You're the first kingdom, the head of gold. The next one's going to be the Medo-Persian kingdom. History bears this out. You history buffs, you know this. This is why history is important, people. I know a lot of people don't like history in school, but history is important. And if we don't learn history, we're doomed to repeat it, okay? And so uh, the, the third was the Greek Empire, and the last was the Roman Empire. He says, hey, king. He didn't say this literally, but here's what Daniel's implying. My God, the God I serve, the true and living God, he will cut a stone out, not made with hands. This stone is going to come from God himself. And this stone is going to crush all of these kingdoms. This stone is going to crush every kingdom. Grind it to powder in the wind. The wind of the Spirit is just going to blow every trace of this away. And then he says, and in the days of these kings... He tells us when this is happening, when this is going to happen. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Has God set that kingdom up? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And the increase of his government and peace will have no end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The child was born. The increase shall have no end. And he says, This kingdom shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Church, I want you to understand, God is in control. The kingdom of God is among us. They said, oh, Jesus, in, John, in, in, Luke, in Luke chapter uh, 17, verse 2021, the Pharisees said, Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? He said, I tell you, the kingdom of God comes without observation. The kingdom is within you. And the kingdom within us is the kingdom, listen, Christ is the king of the kingdom. 
Christ is the king. He's the kingdom. He's the temple. He's the foundation. You understand? He's the head. We're the body, but there's no separation. Is there a separation between your head and your body? Is your head and your body one? Yes. Does your body go everywhere your head goes? Yes. If we're the body of Christ and Christ is the head of his body, do we go where Christ goes? Yes. Do we have an identity separate from Jesus? No. Pull out your driver's license. There's a reason why your head is what's there. It's a, it's a, it's a headshot of your face on your driver's license. Why? Because your face is your identity. Because it's connected to your body. Jesus is our head. Jesus is our identity. Not Czech, not Irish, not German, not Baptist, not Lutheran, not Catholic. We are Christ's body. We are known and identified as the body of Christ. Christ is our life. Christ is the stone that was cut out without hands. Christ is the one who came and destroyed all the kingdoms. Christ is now the stone that's become a mountain that is filling the earth. You want proof of that? Here we are in Taylor, Texas. Tell me, who in the upper room 2,000 years ago of the 120 people that were up there when the Holy Spirit fell on all flesh, okay, who then knew there would be a Taylor, Texas, zip code 76574? Did any of those people know there would be a Taylor, Texas? No! Did God know there would be a Taylor, Texas? Oh, yes, he did. Why are we here talking about the mountain that's filling the earth, the kingdom that has no end? Why are we here talking about the stone that was cut out without hands? You know why we are? Because it was. Because there really was a stone cut out without hands. Because there really is a mountain filling the earth. Because there really is a kingdom who has no end. And all of us here are proof positive that that is true. The very fact that we're in this room having this conversation today proves the Bible is real. You don't really need any more proof than that. You say, oh, it's just all cosmic coincidence. Oh, well, go, you go ahead and believe that. I think it takes a whole lot more faith to believe, believe that than to believe that God had a pattern and a plan and a purpose before creation. And zip code 76574 was part of his purpose. And the fact that we're here talking about the stone cut out without hands, Daniel's vision, or Nebuchadnezzar's vision that Daniel interpreted, it's true. It's real. And the mountain is going to keep growing. And the knowledge of the glory of God is going to continue to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. You know why? Because that's what the prophet prophesied. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It is happening right now. You, you are part of it. I am part of it. You're a living stone. Why does the Bible call you a living stone? Because Jesus is the living stone. Why are you called a living stone? Why was Peter called little rock and Jesus said on this big rock, I'm going to build my church? Where was the little rock Peter cut out from? Same place you and I are cut out from. He was cut out from the rock, the stone cut out without hands. The, he was cut out from the mountain that's filling the earth. Who is Christ Jesus, the Lord of creation? That's our God. That's our Savior. Oh my gosh, church, you've got to get a revelation of this. You've got to get a revelation of who Christ is. You've got to come to know who this Savior is who has saved you, who has done so much more than just promise you an eternity separate from hell. You are a living stone that's been cut out of the mountain, out of the living stone. You have been fashioned and put in place to function as God ordained and created you to function because He is building a holy temple, a habitation of God in the Spirit. Christ is doing this, and that is going to fill everything in all creation. Not just a little corner of it. Do you know that we have no clue? Let me ask you this question. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm not even, I am not even going to finish my 
God, you are God's building today. I haven't even got past the pattern yet. And we still have the performance of the work and the promise of the work to go. I haven't even got past the blueprints yet. We can't even start. I mean, this is how amazing God is. This is how awesome his plan and his purpose is. Do you think there are more grains of sand on planet Earth or more stars in the sky? What do you think? Sand or stars, which, which has more? Y'all know, y'all read, y'all. It's true, stars, there's more stars. Now you think about every grain of sand on planet Earth. That's a lot of sand. I didn't say all the sand in the Sahara Desert. I said all the grains of sand on planet Earth. There are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on planet Earth. That, I don't know about you, but that just like makes my mind want to melt. I, I can't even comprehend that. And here is what God said in the very beginning. The knowledge of the glory of God. His, his eternal design was that it was going to fill creation. That means that the knowledge of the glory of God, it, it's not going to just fill the earth. I'm telling you what, it's going to fill creation. His glory will be known to the utter ends of his creation. And he has chosen you, Christian, to make that happen. He has chosen you to pour his glory into, to pour his presence into. He has cut you out of the stone, out of the mountain that is growing into one that is filling all the earth and will fill all in all. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. I think I read this scripture to you last week, but I'm going to read it again. Let me, let me begin in verse 16. This is Paul's prayer for the church. That means Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. He didn't write this letter to you, but he wrote it for you. You understand that? The prayer Paul prays for those believers in Ephesus 2,000 years ago is as relevant today as it was then, even though it was not written to you. God inspired Paul to pray this prayer, to record this prayer, to preserve this prayer because it was prayed for you. And I would encourage you to pray it for yourself. This is the importance, listen church, this is the importance of the scripture. Your prayers have got to become more than, oh God, please help me. Jesus Christ has got to become more than your spiritual 911. Do you realize that a lot of people in the church see Jesus as their spiritual 911? People out in the world, God is their spiritual 911. Case in point, the Sunday after September 11, September 11, uh, September 11, 2011, the churches were full. It didn't last very long. You know why? Because when the crisis, when the emergency was over, people just went back to their regular lives and they just live in denial. They just pretend like these things, you know, we just go on. Paul's prayer here is that you would have a revelation by the Spirit. See, I'm telling you all kinds of things today, but, but nothing's going to change because I tell you until the Spirit of God on the inside of you gives you a revelation of the truth. But you need to hear it. You need to hear the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But it's God who brings the increase of that faith. It's God who causes that faith to come alive on the inside of you. And I'm, 
I'm telling you, pray that God would cause your faith to come alive. Pray that you wouldn't just see God as some spiritual 911 to get you through whatever you're going through. The world, listen, the world is in crisis mode right now. It is. But I'll tell you this, the world has always been in crisis mode. It didn't just start recently. It's been that way. Christ has been the answer from day one. Christ will continue to be the answer until he comes again. And he'll still be the answer even then. It's just that in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't have things distracting us. Our focus, our attention will be centered exactly right where they should be on Christ. Not a temple, not some natural city, not some political thing, but Christ. He will be all of that and more. (laughs) He will be the object, the foundation, the pattern for everything. So Paul prays, I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, that you may know, that you may know what is the hope. Listen, church. What is the hope of His calling? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? His inheritance is in you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. Look at the progression here. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all, say all church, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named. Christ is above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. The church, listen, the church, that's you, that's me, that's us. The church, which is his body, The fullness of him, the church, listen, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who is doing what? The fullness of him who fills all in all. Who fills part, who fills some, who fills a small corner, who fills one little planet. No, who fills all. In all, you can't comprehend the magnitude of that. You can't comprehend how large that is. Don't worry about it. Don't try to comprehend it. But just know that you're a part of it. Just know that God cut you out of a living stone who is Christ. And he made you a living stone. And he's taken you and he is building his holy temple. He is building his dwelling place in the spirit. And you will be the center, the object that will display and demonstrate and declare the glory of God because it's in you that Christ has chosen to dwell. He lives in you by his spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, he said, you look in the mirror and when you look in the mirror, what image do you see? You should see Christ. And as you behold that image, as you Fix your gaze on that image. You are being transformed into that very same image. Hallelujah. This is the pattern that you and I as living stones in him being built up a holy habitation, the holy temple of God, that we would be conformed to the Son of glory. 
God has promised to do it. And what God has promised to do, God will do. Now, I'm sorry, I'd have to keep you here for 30 more minutes to go through the next two. I'm, I'm, I'm great with it, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, but listen, this is important. It's, it's, listen, it's, it's important. Let's go back to our building analogy. Let's go back to our house analogy. If there's a part of your house that you don't want your contractor to skimp on, that you don't want your contractor to rush through and do half-heartedly, it's your foundation. And we could, just, we could just breeze through the scriptures and I could give you some good sound bites and, and, and give you some you know, good emotional feel-good stuff. But I'm telling you what, what God wants to do, God wants to go and He wants to line upon line, precept upon precept. God wants to take the time to lay the foundation right. Because everything else that we build on top of that is going to be determined. The quality of it is going to be determined by, ultimately by the foundation that we have. It can look beautiful above the foundation. Most people don't think about their foundation, don't see their foundation. It's, but yet it's the most important part of your house. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They don't think about their foundation. They just, they just want all the pretty stuff. They want all the adornment. There used to be a builder in Austin called MPC Home Builders, Nash Phillips Copus. And they would build these homes, and we called them stuff homes because they had stuff all over them. They had a little... It looked really good when they first finished the home. They'd have little you know, decorative little corner brackets on the outside and all kinds of little things, and it just looked really nice. But you go back to that neighborhood about mm, two, three years when the cheap paint they used... Uh, started fading, and all that stuff they put all over those homes, the plywood would start buckling, and, and, and the stuff would start falling off, and the foundations, they had a whole neighborhood they had to basically scrap. You know why? Foundation. Foundations were horrible. Listen, if you're going to take your time and fall in love with something, Take the time to lay the foundation right. Fall in love with your foundation. And whatever you build on top of that, you build it in truth, according to truth, it'll be good. It'll stand the test. And I know, uh, I just, I want us to take the time to go through. Paul wrote this letter. God inspired this letter for a reason. It's important for you to understand these, these very basic truths. It's very important for you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray that God would give you a revelation, a spiritual revelation, that he would do what Paul is praying for the church, for the believers in Ephesus, that, that God would, by his spirit, open the eyes of your understanding that you would begin to see Jesus and, and, and comprehend Jesus in a way that you have not before, that you begin to think about your salvation and who you are in Christ and the eternal purpose of God, that, that God began something and did something that began long before you were born and will continue long after you and I leave this earth, that what God has planned and what God has purposed and what God has done is eternal. It has no beginning because it was in him in eternity. It has no end because it's in him and he is eternal. And do you realize that when God saved us, when God, by the power of God, by the power of his spirit, caused you to be born again, do you know that God made you an eternal being? What God did when he saved you, he cut you out as a living stone cut out without hands. Man didn't save you. You didn't save yourself. God cut you out and made you a living stone. 
And you need to understand that. That God puts you in place and there are going to be storms that are going to come. There are going to be winds that are going to blow. There's going to be hail and lightning and things that are going to come against you. But God made you to weather the storm. God made you to withstand the wind. God made you to be in your place functioning just as he ordained you to be. But you will not be able to do that if you don't begin to have a right understanding and a comprehension of who you are. We talked about this when we talked about Nehemiah months ago. The picture of Nehemiah building the wall. Those stones in that wall are not strong to stay in place just in and of themselves. But those stones put in their place in conjunction and in relationship with all the other stones function to form a wall, function to provide strength, function to do something that they can't do alone. Do you see that picture recurring through all creation? So we could use the analogy of a wall, a building, a body. How well is your hand going to function by itself? It's not going to, is it? It's only going to function as it's connected to your body. How strong is your hand? It's not strong by itself, is it? But if it's connected to your body, there's great strength there. And we can say that about every other part of your body. What's the, what's the purpose? Why did God do that? Because God's trying to give us a picture. Same reason we come to the table every week. Because alone, by ourselves, we're weak. We, we, we can't make it. No more than my hand can make it cut, apart, cut off from my body. But when we're together, when we're functioning in our place, when we understand who we are, what Christ has done in saving us, that when we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we need to understand we put our faith in something more than just a ticket to heaven to escape hell. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we became something living. We became something vital. We became something that has a cause and a purpose and speaks of something far greater than ourselves alone. We speak of something much, much greater, much, much more grand, much, much, much more glorious. We speak of Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. You are... God's building. So there's a pattern. There's a pattern to the work. And that pattern is Christ and Him crucified. What is the pattern of your life? What is your life patterned after? You might not think about that question very often, but every one of our lives has a pattern. Every one of our lives here today is patterned after something. My question is, what is your life pattern? What is the pattern of your life? If the pattern of your life is not Christ and Him crucified, You might not know it now. You might think you're doing fine. You might know people who think they're doing fine. But if the pattern of your life is not Christ and Him crucified, you're going to come to a place. I can promise you this. Sooner or later, you will come to a place in your life where you will realize something is not right. Hey, something's out of square here. This building ain't lining up. I got a problem here. I'm going to have to make an adjustment. Something's going to have to change here. It's different for everybody. It was different for me than it it is for you. 
But God brought me to a place where I understood that the pattern of my life was not right. And God revealed His Son to me. And I came to understand that the pattern of my life had to become the Son of God. And that pattern is not something that we should just submit to because we're afraid to go to hell. Listen, that pattern is something that we should embrace with joy. Joy unspeakable because there is is no greater joy than in Christ. There is nothing, nothing of this world that can give you the joy and the fulfillment that Christ can. You might not believe that right now. But one day you will realize that. And if you are here right now and you say, you know what, I don't know about the pattern of my life. I don't know if my life has been been according to the right pattern. I got good news for you. If you're questioning that and something in you is saying, I know that I need to make Jesus Christ the pattern of my life. I'm going to tell you right now, that thought didn't come from you. That thought came from God. Just like the thought that you are the son of the living God, the Christ, didn't come from Peter's intellect. It came from the Father in heaven, Jesus said. And the good news is, whenever you come to that place and you realize the pattern of your life is not according to Jesus Christ, that you've been living by another pattern, and it's not God's pattern, if you realize that right now, you can... You can get with the right pattern. You can make things right. You can surrender those things that are of the past and you can have and you can be a new creation. Any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if you're here today and you say, I need a new pattern for my life. I need Jesus. When I pray this prayer of dismissal, I want you to come. I want you to talk to me if that's you. Let's talk about Jesus becoming the pattern of your life. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, your eternal word. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't just do things by happenstance. God, everything you did from the farthest star in the corner of your creation that we don't even know right now. Lord, you put it there purposefully. You put it there in its place because that was its place. Father, I believe that each one in this room today is not in this room today by accident. Lord, they're in this room today because you had a plan and you had a purpose. Lord, we all have different circumstances that have brought us to this room today at this time, in this zip code, in this part of the world, Lord, We all have different circumstances that caused us to get in our cars and drive to this building today and sit in these chairs and hear the Word of God. But they weren't accidental. And they weren't all of our doing. Lord, you had a hand in that. You purposed that somehow, some way, before creation. And we are here, God, We acknowledge that we are not here by accident. We acknowledge, God, that we're not wandering generalities stumbling through life, that we are meaningful specifics that you created for your specific purpose and for your glory. And I pray, Father God, if there are any here today, if there's even one here today who would say, I don't know about the pattern of my life. I think I need Jesus. God, I pray that you would move on them by your Spirit. And he would bring them to that place of surrender and of trust and the only name under heaven by which man can be saved, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for those today that that do know, that do know that they are in Christ, that do know that they have been born again, that do know, Lord, that they are those living stones. I pray for us, Lord God, that we would not assume that we know everything. I pray against the sin of assumption that would cause us to be blind of the 
greater and the deeper things that God would want to reveal to us, but because we assume we already know, because we assume we've already got that down, because we assume there's nothing else or there's no other reason. God, we miss out on so much, and I pray, God, that you would break those things down in our life, that you would cast those things out of our life, that we would not be filled with assumption, God, but we would humble ourselves before you. And the more we're able to see you, Lord Jesus, the more we realize how ignorant we are of who you truly are, how blind we really are, and how little we really can see. I pray, God, that you would heal us of our blindness, open our eyes, and allow us as your people to see you in a way that we've never seen you before, that it would free us from our fear, and it would free us from our complacency would free us to be what you've created us to be and to bring glory and honor to your name the way you have ordained it to be so. Lord, I've said many words today, but I pray that you would do a work by your spirit, not by the words of man, but by the power of your spirit. I pray now, God, that you would work in the hearts of your people, that you would change us and transform us by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.